scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 40, 25 through 31. To whom then will compare me, holy, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is discarded by my name, by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the ever, everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not, not faint. This is God's word. Well, thank you, e Eliza, for reading the scripture, and thank you, choir, for such a rich anthem and um, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers here or watching by live streaming. Uh, my name is George Murray and it's great to be back at First Evangelical Church here in Memphis. I want to thank you for the ministry you have as a congregation to this city. And I want to thank you for the ministry you have around the world through the ministry partners you pray for and support. So thank you for being a Great Commission church. As we have gathered to worship the Lord together, the title for our Bible message this morning is Reasoning from the Greater to the Lesser reasoning from the greater to the lesser. And this is what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to look together at two Bible passages. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And then we're going to think together about one Bible principle. And finally, I'm going to tell you a true story about the Eiffel Tower in Paris, France. So, if you meet somebody that usually comes to First Evan and they couldn't be here this morning and they say to you, what did the preacher preach about? You can tell them he talked to us about two Bible passages, one Bible principle, and the Eiffel Tower, and of course, they're going to want to know what the passages were, what the principle was, and what the story was, and you can tell all that to them. So let's look at the first Bible passage. It's found in the Old Testament, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, and Mark Gosney did not know I would be speaking on this this morning when he referenced this in his prayer in the elder's prayer. Isn't that wonderful? 
Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. That's the first Bible passage. The second Bible passage we want to look at this morning is in the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 32 where we read these words, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So, two Bible passages, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, and Romans 8, 32. Now, we want to look at one Bible principle. And now watch. There's only one Bible principle we need to look at this morning, even though there are two Bible passages, and that's because both Bible passages teach the same principle. And here it is. We need to learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. You and I need to learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. To put this in legal terms, we need to learn how to argue, we need to learn how to make our case from the greater to the lesser. That is what the writer of Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in Romans 8 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Both of them are reasoning from the greater to the lesser. When we look at Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, we need to remind ourselves that the writer is making his case from creation. He's making his case from creation. Here's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 121, 1 and 2. He's saying, I need help. And when I need help, I look at the hills and remind myself that the one who made the hills made the entire universe. And if he can do that, he can do and handle any lesser problem represented by my current need. He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. And that is exactly what the missionary apostle Paul is doing in Romans 8.32. In Psalm 121, the writer is reasoning from creation. 
in Romans 8.32, Apostle Paul is reasoning from redemption. Redemption. And what is he saying in Romans 8.32? He's saying, if God, in giving his Son, the Lord Jesus, can provide the huge redemptive solution for the accumulated sin of all the depraved people of the entire world, past, present, and future. If he can do that, he can do anything. He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. So what's the principle? Here it is. You may want to write this down. When facing the challenges of life and ministry, take all those things to the Lord, reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Let's look again at Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in saying this, the writer of Psalm 121 is reminding himself that God is our creator. And he's telling us to keep that in mind whenever we face a special need. And what I want to do in the next couple minutes is give you two quick examples of this, one from the Old Testament and the other from the New Testament. The first example, and I'll talk about this before I put the scripture up on the screen, but the first example is back in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Now, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want, but let me just remind you what's happening in 2 Kings 18 and 19. The people of Israel have entered the promised land. The Lord tells them to keep their eyes on him. Instead, they turn their eyes away from the Lord. The minute they do that, they start to fight with each other, and they divide, and ten tribes go to the north, and two tribes stay in the south. The Lord says to them, if you take your eyes off me, I am going to punish you. And he does that because Assyria, the nation of Assyria, under their leader, Shalmaneser, captures the northern kingdom of Israel in the year 722 B.C. and takes them away as captives. Shalmaneser's successor, Sennacherib, decides he's going to go down and conquer the southern kingdom of Judah too. Hezekiah is the king of Judah at this time. This is all in, in uh, 2 Kings 18 and 19. So Sennacherib from Assyria captures all the fortified cities of Judah, and then he sends a large army to surround Jerusalem with three of his top generals. And those three generals meet with three of Hezekiah's leaders outside the city wall of Jerusalem. And they say to Hezekiah's leaders, guys, you might as well just give up. I mean, look what we did to the north, and there were ten tribes up there. You think we're not going to be able to do it to you down here? You might as well just give up. 
Hezekiah's generals tell Sennacherib's generals not to talk in Hebrew, but to talk in Aramaic so the common people up on the city wall who can hear their conversation will not understand what they're saying. The Rab Shaka, who is the head leader of Sennacherib, talks even louder in Hebrew and we're not going to look at it, but he uses trash talk. There is trash talk in the Bible, in Second Chronicles, in Second Kings chapter 18 and 19. Then suddenly, Sennacherib has to withdraw from Jerusalem because a battle crops up on another front, and his whole army leaves Jerusalem, but just in case Hezekiah thinks, oh, we're all safe, Sennacherib sends him a letter saying, I'm coming back, and when I do, you're, you're going to be completely defeated. And that's where I want you to see 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 to 16. Look at this on the screen or in your Bible. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it, what's that? That's the letter from Sennacherib, spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed, now watch. O Lord, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Now watch what he says. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Look what he says. Right in the middle of his prayer, he says, You have made heaven and earth. What's he doing here? Is this, you know, somebody trying to impress the people that hear him praying by using lofty language? You know, some people pray like that. Oh, God, maker of heaven and earth, and people are kind of impressed with the prayer. No, he's not trying to impress anybody. He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. You have made heaven and earth. If you can do that, you can certainly deal with what we're facing right now. And look at what happens after he prays that prayer. He says, and now, so now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And if you read that passage carefully, you will discover that that same night, the angel of the Lord visits the Assyrian army and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and Sennacherib withdraws and goes, back to Nineveh. You have made heaven and earth. The second example I want to give you is from the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 3 and 4. You remember in Acts chapter 3, we won't turn there, but here's what happens. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a lame man sitting on the ground begging. 
And Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the lame man stands up and starts to leap and dance. And it's so amazing that all the people start crowding around to see this phenomenon. And Peter says, whoa, this is great. What a great opportunity to preach. And so he starts to preach the gospel. And the religious leaders see this happening and they come and they arrest Peter and they put him in jail, Peter and John. And then the next morning they have a trial and they say to them, guys, if you do that again, you're going to be in here permanently. And then they release them with the understanding that they're not to ever do that again. And Peter and John go from prison, gather the believers together, and look at this verse in Acts chapter 4. And when they, that's the believers, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, now watch, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Look what they say in their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Why do they say that? Are they trying to impress us, you know, with lofty spiritual language? Oh, maker of heaven and earth. No, they're deliberately reasoning from the greater to the lesser. And now look what happened after they prayed that prayer. And when they had prayed, Acts 4.31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness, reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Pastor Chuck Smith. Actually, he's the main character in the current movie in theaters called The Jesus Revolution. And Pastor Chuck Smith lived in California, and uh, he started what we call the Calvary Chapel Movement. Uh, ten of the largest churches in America today are Calvary chapels. Now, Chuck was a bit more open to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit than some of the rest of us. And so he was a little bit suspect in certain evangelical circles. And I remember it was kind of a scandal when we at Columbia International University invited Chuck Smith to come and preach to our students for a whole week. And, and he did, and it was one of the best weeks of meetings we ever had. And he preached all week on the all-sufficiency of God to meet any and every need that you and I have. And one day he came into the chapel, and before he spoke, he put on the screen the words of Genesis 1-1. Look at these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's all say that together. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he looked at us and he said, do you believe that? And of course, we all, you know, well, he said, if you believe that, raise your hand. So, you know, we all raised our hands. So then he had us say it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Do you believe that? Then he said this. So why are you having problems with anything else? What was he doing? He was teaching us the fundamental truth of God's holy word that we all learned as children in Sunday school. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the oceans are his, the skies are his handiwork too. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Believers at First Evan, do you believe that? Look with me at Psalm 124, verse 8. Look at this verse. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I want everybody to say that out loud. Here we go together. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now watch, we're going to do it again. And when we get to the yellow part, I want you to double your volume. Got it? All right, here we go. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Do you believe that? Let's look at the second Bible passage, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. In Psalm 121, the writer is reasoning from the fact that God is our creator. In Romans 8, Paul reasons from the fact that God is our redeemer. Look at Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is the missionary apostle Paul doing here? He's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He's saying this, if God can provide the solution for the sins of the entire world, he can care for any lesser problem I or you are facing today. Now, one of my favorite people... Um, is a man by the name of Marvin Schuster. Marvin Schuster served on the board of trustees of Columbia International Unity, University for many years, and at one point, uh, we asked him to be the chair of the board. Now, Marvin was a businessman in uh, Columbus, Georgia, and um, a very successful business, and had um, uh, shared his wealth with uh, many needy things around the world and so forth, and, and he was very generous to Columbia International University, and I remember when he became chairman of the board. I remember the first board meeting. Before we started the meeting, he gave his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ, and I thought, well, you know, that's interesting. He's the new chair, and maybe not all the board members know him that well, so he gave his, his testimony and told how he was a, he was a, in the world's eyes, he was a wonderful person. In God's eyes, he was a dirty, rotten sinner. 
and that all the giving he had done had been only out of pride to gain a name for himself. And then he realized his sinful condition before the Lord. He received the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus into his life, and he became a completely different person. So he told us that story, and I thought, well, well good for you, Marvin. That's great. So four months later, we had another board meeting. And he started the board meeting with a testimony. And I thought to myself, well, he is a little older. And he probably forgot that he did it last time. But, you know, we can forgive that, so that's fine. Four months later, we had the third board meeting. And he did it again. And I thought to myself, you know what? I think Marvin's losing it because he forgot. And then it hit me. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was reasoning from the greater to the lesser. He was saying this, ladies and gentlemen around this table, if God in his mercy and powerful love can change a wretch like me, he can help us handle anything we need to deal with around this table today. And he was reasoning from redemption reasoning from the greater to the lesser. That's what King David does in Psalm 56. Look at this on the screen. Psalm 56, 13. This is a, a verse that starts with a statement and ends with a question. <clears throat> For thou hast delivered my soul from death. That's the statement. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? What is David saying here? He's saying, if you could save me, I believe you can keep me and provide for me all the rest of my life. And he's reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Now, I want to do just a little parenthesis in my message this morning, and I want to ask you a question. Why are God's people commanded to observe the Sabbath? Now, let me talk a little bit. I, if I talk a lot about Columbia International University, it's because I was the president and chancellor there for 18 years. I'm a graduate. I was a teacher there, and so I just love that school. And uh, we have a Sunday rule at Columbia International University. If you go to that school and you sign the student handbook, you have to say you will abide by the rule, the Sunday rule. And the Sunday rule says you can't study on Sunday. You're not allowed to study. You're not allowed to do any academic work on Sunday. We don't do um, uh, a lot of other things that we normally do during, during the regular week. We, 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 it's the Lord's Day. It's the Sabbath day. And it's pretty strict. And, and the students would kind of like chafe under it and say, this is crazy. What do you mean I can't do my homework? What do you mean I can't do this or that? And, and, and they'd say, so what am I going to do? And we would say, well, you might take a nap. You might rest, Isn't that, doesn't Sabbath have something to do with rest? So let's come back to the question, why are God's people commanded to observe the Sabbath? And here's the answer, here's the answer. To deliberately remember God's work of creation and God's work of redemption. Now watch, where is the command to observe the Sabbath found in the Bible? It's found in the Ten Commandments. And did you know that the Ten Commandments occur twice in the Bible? 
once in Exodus 20 and again in Deuteronomy 5. Do you know why? Because Exodus 20 is when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. In Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his farewell speech to the people of Israel, and he's reminding them of all the things that happened in his life and theirs during those years. And so he repeats the giving of the Ten Commandments. But now watch. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Creation. And rested the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the second time the Ten Commandments occur in the Bible. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is not talking about creation. This is talking about redemption, the greatest redemption story in the Old Testament, mirroring the redemption story of the New Testament. Therefore, therefore, because your God brought you out, Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? So why does the Lord command us to keep the Sabbath? To remember that he is our creator and he is our redeemer. So let me just make a little suggestion to you this morning. May I suggest that you um, go against the current of North American evangelicalism where violation of the Sabbath is a, an egregious happening all the time. And may I suggest that instead of trying to get more work done, you take some time to take a nap and then spend some time with the Lord and remember deliberately, because God's Word tells us to, that He's the Creator. Thank Him for that. That He's the Redeemer. Thank Him for that. And then look at your life the needs that you have, the things that you're praying for, and reason from the greater to the lesser. So let's review real quickly. Two Bible passages, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, and Romans 8, 32. One Bible principle, learn to reason from the greater to the lesser, from the fact that He is our Creator, from the fact that He is our Redeemer, and now what you've all been waiting for the true story about the Eiffel Tower. And this is a true story. In 1983, my wife and I and our four children were living in the country of Italy, doing evangelism and church planning, loving it, not wanting to leave, planning to stay there our whole life, when the board of directors of that mission agency, the Bible Christian Union, contacted me and said, we'd like you to be the next director of the mission. That was a very difficult decision for us to make, to leave the mission field. We talked to our home sending church. We talked to the board of directors. We talked to the team of missionaries we had recruited to work with us. All the lights were green, and so we decided that we would do that and leave Europe and come back to North America to fill that role. Well, my wife came to me before we left, and she said, Honey, you know, we've been concentrating on Italy all these years, and, and we've been living in Europe, but we've re never really seen much of Europe. 
And I mean, it's kind of like the states, you know, they're countries, but they're sort of like states and they're next to each other. And wouldn't it be awful for us to leave and our kids never see the rest of Europe? So do you think our last vacation, we could plan a car trip to see uh, Europe sort of on a car trip? And I said, sure. And so we did. We got our little um, European car and we had four kids, mom and dad, and we piled the stuff in there and we drove from the northeast Italy where we were up through the corner of Austria, through Switzerland, up through Germany, Belgium, Holland. Then we took the ferry across to England. We drove up with, with our car. We drove up to Scotland. We took the ferry across to Belfast, Northern Ireland. We drove down to Dublin, the Republic of Ireland. We took the ferry back across to Wales, and then we got to the coast and took the ferry across to France. And our final stop on that one-month trip was Paris, France. And by the way, we stayed with missionary friends most of the places. That's how we afforded that. And uh, we stayed with a missionary couple, and they said, well, what would you like to see while you're in France? And we said, well, you know France better than we do in Paris. And, so, and they said, well, have you ever been to the Eiffel Tower? And we said, no. And they said, well, you've got to go to the Eiffel Tower. So we, we went to the Eiffel Tower. Let me tell you a little bit about the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower was built in 1889 as the entrance to the World's Fair. It's called La Dame de Fer, which is the French of the Iron Lady. And for the next 41 years, it was the tallest man-made structure in the world until the Chrysler Building was built in New York City in 1930. It's 1,063 feet tall. That's 81 to 116 stories high, depending on how you measure a story. My wife, Annette, took one look at the Eiffel Tower, and she said, you can go up if you want, but I'm staying down here. I'll stay down here with the baby. You take the three older kids. And so the three older kids and I stood in line for the elevator, and we finally got their big commercial elevator, 20, 30 people in it, and we got in. The elevator went up, 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 boom, and it stopped. And we thought, this is exciting. We're going to be there. And we got out and found out. That's only a third of the way up. You've got to take two more elevators to get to the top. So we stood in line, waited for the second elevator up, boom, third, finally got to the top. And when we got to the top, we were at the top observation deck of the Eiffel Tower. And it was a perfectly cloudless day. The sun was shining brightly. People had their camcorders, their cameras, taking pictures. At that time, the, the greater metropolitan area of Paris had 20 million people. It was just phenomenal to look out over this vast, sprawling area. And, and we were enjoying it. And while people were looking out, I spied a little uh, ladder uh, going up through the roof of the top observation tower, and I could tell it was going to the roof because there was a door at the top of the ladder open, and you could see the sky. So I looked around, and uh, there was no sign. <laughs> so I said to Heather, our oldest, grab my hand. Laura, grab Heather's hand. Frankie, grab Laura's hand. Follow me. And we went up the ladder. Now, the, the steps of the ladder were sort of flat, so it was almost like little steps. And we went up through the opening and found ourselves standing on the roof of the Eiffel Tower, and nobody else was up there. I don't think we should have been either. <laughs> and we're all standing there holding hands, 
And as we were holding hands, and, and by the way, there was just a little flimsy fence around the, the, the parameter of the top. We didn't go anywhere near the edge. We stood in the middle holding hands, and as we stood there, we could feel the tower swaying. Now, I've told this story before. And you know, preachers, when we tell stories, they tend to grow. <laughs> so I Googled it again, and here's what the, the Eiffel Tower website will tell you if you do it right now. And by the way, when I'm preaching, I see people fact-checking me all the time. All right. Here's what it says. Depending on the strength of the wind, the Eiffel Tower sways 18 to 21 feet from side to side on a daily basis. And we were on the top, and we could feel it. And I looked down at seven-year-old Frankie, and his eyes were big as saucers. I mean, he was like really impressed. I am standing on the top of one of the largest man-made structures in the world. This is awesome, Dad. And I wish I, had, I, I took a picture of his face because it was just like total, total admiration. Well, anyway, we went back down the ladder. Nobody ever said anything to us. We got back down the elevator, finished our, our trip, went back to Italy. Two weeks later, we were having family devotions at the Murray home. Now, this is in 1983, and China was just beginning to open back up to the entrance of missionaries. And so I read, and we were having family devotions after supper. I read to our children a story from the Moody Monthly magazine about how the door was opening and people were going in. It was still dangerous, but people were going in. And then we read Romans 10 because we were going through the book of Romans as a family. We read Romans 10 with those haunting inspired missionary questions of the Apostle Paul. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? And I explained to the children these questions and talked about China and how dangerous it was to go there. But people, there was 1.4 billion people there that needed Jesus. And then I stopped and I looked at nine-year-old Laura. And I said, Laura, honey, if God wants you to go to China as a missionary, would you be willing to go? Now, Laura is our thoughtful child. She did not answer me right away. I saw her swallow deeply. And then she said, Daddy, I would if Jesus wants me to. And right then, seven-year-old Frankie took his chubby little hand, put it lovingly on the arm of his sister, got right up in her face and said this, Laura, if God wants you to go to China as a missionary, don't you ever forget that Jesus will go with you and Jesus is bigger than the Eiffel Tower. What was that little boy doing? In his little boy way, he was profoundly reasoning from the greater to the lesser. If God is that big, we can do anything, and he's absolutely right. Uh, we're going we're gonna to 
pray and we're going to sing in just a minute, but I'm, I'm getting older, and many of you here are older, and I am really looking forward to Jesus coming back. I, uh, our world is in a mess. Our country is in a mess. Um, and I find myself praying with John, even so, come Lord Jesus. I want to I be there when some from every tribe and language and tongue and, and Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and we're going to be praising him forever. Uh, do you want that? I want that. And what are we going to be saying to him when we praise him? Look at these verses in Revelation. We're going to be saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Now look what it says. For you created all things, and by your will they existed, and we're created. We're going to praise him for the fact that he's our creator. But now look at Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and you, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're going to be praising God because he's our creator and because he's our redeemer. All right, so let's review. Let's review. What did we see this morning in this Bible message? We looked at two Bible passages. We looked at one Bible principle, and then we looked at the Eiffel Tower, and the principle is this, when facing the challenges of life and ministry, take all those things to the Lord, reasoning from the greater to the lesser. And we're going to sing now. We're going to sing now, and I want you to stand right now. We're going to sing. Come on. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing a song that you all know, but now watch. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says this, I will sing with the Spirit, I want you to do that, and I will sing with the understanding also, and I want you to do that. So as we sing this great song, How Great Thou Art, two verses, the first verse is reasoning from the fact that God is our creator. The second verse is reasoning from the fact that God is our redeemer. Think about the words as you sing it. Let's sing it together. Oh, Lord, my God.
just before the benediction, don't forget, this week, every day for the rest of your life, learn to reason from the greater to the lesser. Please remain standing for the benediction.